Hey everyone, welcome to The Front Porch. I'm Brian Boji, your host for the show. Today I'm going to talk to Jody Kerr, the Key Account Manager at Toro. If you're interested in hearing from more rental experts, you can find us on any of the leading podcast platforms where you can search for Point of Rental and you'll find us. Or you can go to pointofrental.com slash porch and you'll see a lot of our podcasts. Uh, if you like what you hear, then, you know, rate, subscribe, follow, whatever it's called. And if you don't like what you hear, then, you know, just send me an email at marketing at pointofrental.com and uh, we'll try to, I'll try to do better in the future. Anyway, let's talk to Jody. Welcome to The Front Porch with Brian Beaudry. First of all, uh, Jody, hello, and welcome to The Front Porch. Thank you. Pleased to be here. Um, so let's just get started with some of the basics. Who are you? Where are you from? And what's your favorite thing to do in the Denver area? Let's say it's pre-pandemic and you're allowed to go anywhere. I'm Jody Kerr, and um, I uh, work for the Toro Company in the SiteWorks division. And uh, although Toro is based out of Minneapolis, I work out of my home office in Denver, Colorado, and have for several years. And uh, I love living in Denver. Um, yeah, you know, it seems like we sort of partake in everything that that Denver has to offer. Um, Denver truly has four seasons, and so we seem to do a little bit of of all of that. You know, uh, participate in the summer sports and the the winter things to do here. And I'm a native, so I've been doing this for quite a while. But you didn't give me a favorite thing. So what's your favorite thing? You're an expert. <laughs> I need to know when I visit my friends or family. I, I don't know. Probably hiking is probably the 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 biggest thing. I'm a I'm sort of a, a big walker. I, I on average I do about five miles a day. And so um, you know, I like going to all the different parks and, and recs and whatnot, although a majority of my walking is done in the neighborhood, but um really do love to get out to to some of the parks and um, you know, the state parks as well. So of course. Yeah boxes here in, in, in Colorado. And so that's always a favorite and not only for, for hiking and climbing around, but of course the concerts. So, so if you, if you make it here to Colorado, you've got to, you've got to try and catch a concert here at Red Rocks. Okay. We're going all the way back now. We're going back to the beginning. What did you want to be growing up? I imagine not many kids think of key account manager as an option. <laughs> no, that, that is not what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, Really, I thought I wanted to be a teacher and specifically a gym teacher. <laughs> and I went to the University of Northern Colorado and it's uh, somewhat of a, a teacher school. And to their credit, they got me in the classroom right away. And I sort of realized right then that it really wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, so that next semester, I kind of took a, a variety of different classes. And one of the classes was um, business law and uh, kind of got hooked on that and then uh, went on and, and got my degree in business and marketing. So then after that, uh, graduating, uh, I graduated at a horrible time because the, the economy and just the whole, whole business climate was, was not good. And uh, so that's, I, I went to work at Coors for um, almost two years, just, you know, sort of in a, in a temporary position until I sort of found kind of the niche that I was looking for. But, um, but hey, you, you told me before that it was, that it was going to be beer tasting. So is that what it was? <laughs> yes, that was, that was my, my job. And 
I have to say it probably sounds a little sexier than it really was. <laughs> it, it turns out that, that 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 job that's like 0.005% of it is actually beer tasting and the rest is, you know, um, cleaning beer tanks and, and scrubbing beer cellars and changing changing the filter pads and the in the beer um, the beer filters and but there was an element to it that was was beer tasting every Tuesday we went to beer tasting classes so it, it was it was somewhat interesting in that they would give us tainted beer that would either have you know some of the you know of course the the cleaning product was edible but they would it would taint some of the the beer so that we could detect you know the citrus tanks were were cleaned with or um they would give us burnt beer so that we you know sort of um you know have an understanding of what that tasted like just like you know when you leave the coffee pot on the the burner too long that uh it tastes burnt so so anyhow that was um that was sort of the extent of my my beer tasting days and so yeah yeah that sounds like uh they kind of lead you in with the beer taster no one's yeah. signing up for the clean the vats and taste the <laughs> Yep, that's beer. exactly okay. it. It was just a very small percentage of the time that they would call you when a when a, a vat of beer was ready to be sent down to packaging, and then you would you would go to that particular tank, draw a sample off, and then they they test it for for calories because for Coors Light, you know, it's very um, important that it be within the the right caloric range, and then uh, then the other big test was for turbidity, and that's basically how much stuff is floating in your beer. And so if you've ever seen like a, a blue moon beer, you can see that it's fairly cloudy. And so there's a lot of turbidity in that, in that particular, um, that particular beer where of course the Coors Light is, is very clear. So. Okay. Uh, is this the thing that like, because you grew up in the Denver area that it's like, oh, I'm going to work for Coors at some point, or is it just uh, happened to be a coincidence type thing? Um, no, well, probably, in, and I grew up in Golden, which is, is wow, that's that's really it. Yeah, so I mean, we were really right there. And then my dad worked at Coors for thirty years, so yeah, I, I was probably destined to wind up there at some point. Okay, well, I feel like we spent enough time on this job that you spent a little bit of time in. Yeah. So you decided that you were ready for a real job or a quote unquote real job, <laughs> and. You get go to an aerospace engineering company. I know from our earlier conversation, they also engineered inflators for automotive airbags and that you negotiated contracts for them. But yeah. first, I have a couple questions about this. So how close were we to having injector seats for cars? <laughs> um, really, probably not very close. But um, okay. one, of the, one of the things that um, really did sort of become up and coming while while I was there was side airbags. You know, everybody's familiar with the, the airbag that um, comes out of the steering wheel, but it was side airbags that really became sort of uh, in vogue when I was, was doing this. And it was interesting to watch the progression of that particular airbag because over time, it, you, you know, if you're ever T-boned in a, in a car accident, the first thing that's going to happen is that your head will go through the side window, depending on which side you're, you're on. And so the side curtain airbags became the, the preventative measure for that. So you went from tasting beers to negotiating contracts between aerospace engineers and car manufacturers. How does that transition go? <laughs> well, it was, uh, 
at the time I was so desperate for a job because, you know, as I said, the market was, was terrible. And uh, the funny story about that is that I showed up a day early for the interview and the gentleman that eventually was my boss, I showed up and and the, the receptionist said, well, you know, your interview isn't actually until tomorrow. And she says, well, hold on, let me call George and see if, you know, if he'll conduct the interview now. And so here comes George and he's like, all right, well, come on back. It's just one less thing I have to do tomorrow. And so, <laughs> and, uh, so anyhow, it was the, it was a kind of the classic high pressure interview. He slaps all these, you know, at the time, of course, everybody's looking for a job. And so he, he literally had a stack of, of resumes, probably 18 inches high and he slaps them and he's like, all right, what makes you different than all these other people? so i have no the only one who showed up a day early yeah exactly and uh so anyhow i i got the job and and i don't know what it was that uh, made him me him select me from from this this other stack but but i was glad he did so so that was that was how the transition worked and and because it, it, it was scary you know i didn't have a whole lot of experience in that uh arena so i was i was glad it gave me a shot good thing you took went into that business law class and yeah exactly okay so i guess after that you got to bluebird why did you end up going there so i stayed at um oea for about 10 years and then at this point in in my life i i now had two uh small children and i was uh spending a lot of time there um i was managing a group there at, at oea and and so you know there were a lot of late nights and um you know most nights I was there till six, seven o'clock at night. And so kind of looking for a, a bit of a change. And, you know, of course, uh, the fear is always jumping from the frying pan into the fire, you know, but I was, I was approached by a headhunter for um, this position at Bluebird. And so um, interviewed for it. And, uh, and it was, it was quite a departure from what I had been used to because it was significantly smaller. Um, and certainly going from, you know, initiator inflators and, and, um, pyrotechnics to, to lawn care equipment. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was a pretty big difference, but I was hired to manage the customer service group, the technical service group, and then the parts department. So, um, but I immediately loved it. It was just a, it was a great, it was a great change and allowed me to spend more time with my family. And, and so it was, it really was a good, good fit. Okay. Uh, and, and I heard that once you were there, you started doing shows. So what were some of the highs and lows of being on the road? I'll accept just one highlight and one thing you don't miss at all, but if you have more, then go for it. Um, it was fun to to get into the industry and immediately um you know i i loved then until now i have always been involved in the co-op shows um the the trade shows and typically there are two of those a year in the spring and the in the fall and so right away when i got involved in those you know year after year and or you know season after season you see a lot of the same people and so very quickly, you you know build relationships within the um, within the industry, and and not only with people that are rental owners, but also 
you know, fellow vendors and, and things like that. And so it's just, it's always been absolutely my favorite part of this industry has been the people and uh, traveling is, is traveling. And it's, it, it is hard, particularly when, when you have a family and uh, being away and whatnot. But I would say that, that probably working from home makes that somewhat manageable that, um, and, and frankly, sort of a welcome change to be able to, you know, get out of the home office a little bit and, and um, be able to travel. So, you know, it's kind of the, the good with the bad. But yeah, I, there's definitely more good than bad. That's for sure. That's good. Okay. So your LinkedIn history makes it look like you've moved around a lot because, you know, there's all these headquarters in places. But you told me earlier that pretty much you've been able to keep working from your basement headquarters there in the Denver area. What's the closest you ever came to moving? Back after Bluebird was bought out by Husqvarna. And so the Bluebird facility here in Denver was shut down. The, product, the production facility was moved to Beatrice, Nebraska. And then the um, corporate headquarters was moved to, to Charlotte. So a couple of years into that, when, when all of that happened, they, they asked me to just work from home. And so I did for several years. And a few years into it, the, the president at Husqvarna um, was mandating that all field people, you know, work out of the, out of the Charlotte office. And so it really looked like it was, it was going to, to happen. And I don't remember the exact year, but it was, I remember this was around the October, November timeframe. And so then we all sort of took the, the holiday break and we came back and president had left. He, you know, he, i won't go into all the details are, but anyhow, he left. And so that whole initiative just sort of got dropped. And so it was not brought up again to, to move, but that was probably the closest um, I had been to, to actually moving and, and uh, coming out of the basement. <laughs> did you, did you even get to the point where you're like bringing your family over there and like checking out? And stuff no. Or, no, no. And, uh, and so, but what, what we were um, talking about is, you know, is this the end of my career with, with Husqvarna? Cause I probably wouldn't have moved, you know, so. Wow, you, you really have roots in the Denver. I moved around yeah. a lot as a kid. So like every three or so years I've been moved. So, so you're used to it. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't have thought of anything about moving. <laughs> wow. So you've been able to work remotely for so long and a lot of the rest of us have kind of gotten into it recently. Uh, is there anything new you learned during the pandemic about working from home or working with others remotely? Do you feel like the people you work with better understand the challenges you face? Yeah, absolutely. And I feel, um, I guess, a little more comfortable about if my cat meows or the dog barks or, you know, that um, that everybody is experiencing that now, where before I, um, I remember just, you know, requiring complete silence and, and whatnot, yelling at the kids not to say anything or turn down the television or, or whatnot. And, uh, but yeah, I think, I think uh, a lot of people have a lot, have a deeper understanding and maybe empathy of uh, working from, from home now. We did the mentor for everyone at the beginning. Was everyone just like, oh, Jody knows. Yeah, maybe, but I think th like this was new for all of us. And what I mean by that is the, um, uh, the, the zoom meetings, the team meetings, things like that. We were, we were all terrified of the camera to begin with. <laughs> and, um, so, uh, so I think we've come a long ways in a, in a short period of time. Um, but, 
but I like it. It's amid all of this and not being able to go back to corporate because, you know, typically we would go back to our corporate office multiple times throughout the year and then, you know, see, see your fellow workers at shows and, and things like that. So we were together quite, quite a bit. And so this has really been a nice, you know, it's been nice to still be able to see people and, you know, um, it, it, it feels, you know, better, I guess. So. Yeah, I didn't even really consider that until you mentioned it, that like before recently, the video chat wasn't really a really thing. So no. What were some of the extra difficulties that were in remote work before that? What were your tools? Well, I think one thing that I've learned working remotely is communication and establishing strong, strong relationships, particularly with the, like the in-sale inside sales folks and uh, the technical service people so that you know building those relationships so that they you can call them and and uh, you know get their help because it is a lot different than when you're you're in the office where you know you can just go down the hall and and uh, drop into somebody's office and and talk with them or what I even remember at Bluebird is being able to, you know, if, if a customer will call and have a question about the product or, you know, think that there's a problem or whatnot, I had the ability to go down and look at the, on the line, you know, and see the, see the product rolling off the, off the line and, and be able to go and, and touch it and look at it. And, and so when, when you work remotely, you know, that's, um, that can't be the case. And so you, you have to rely on others to be your, your your eyes and ears in that regard so yeah for sure i, I definitely understand <laughs> yeah marketing if, like someone contacts me and say i don't know anything about what's going on i have to find something <laughs> yeah exactly. so what do you do as a key account manager or what does your job entail now so my primary responsibility are the the co-ops and so what i mean by that is like the the true values uh do it best ace hardware uh those type of accounts and as i said there there are shows that go along with that and so those those are the accounts that are my my primary uh, responsibility um the other part of my job is to help help grow business and so um you know looking at at other accounts and and assisting the the other um territory managers as as they try to expand their business so Although I don't have a specific territory as as such, like like the the other uh, territory managers, my job is more, I guess, maybe at a at a national level with the the um, with the co-ops. Um, but I do, but I have been given um, responsibility for Colorado and Wyoming and Utah just because of, of where I sit here in in Denver. So. So you have a territory and you're the key account manager. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, that, that's a nice territory to have. I've, I've yeah, it is. It is nice. Yep. Whew. Sometimes you can smell when it's been a tough day at work, and so can your coworkers. That's why you should try Point of Rental software. It does a lot of the heavy lifting needed to keep a rental business running. And because it's software, it smells as fresh as it did before doing all the work. By saving money and work, you'll come out smelling like a rose, too. Okay, a few years ago, and pardon me if I'm mistaken, you joined us or were set to join us at Point of Rentals International Conference for a Women in Rental Panel. Why is it important, not just to you, but to the industry as a whole, to include women and the vision for the future of the industry? Yes, that 
that is you were absolutely correct and um well women in rentals held a held a the soft spot in my heart for for the whole industry and and having watched it um you know sort of come along through the last 20 years you know and it, i i always look at the the whole family aspect of of a lot of the the co-op rental companies that i deal with and oftentimes and even earlier on it seemed that oftentimes the women were maybe a little behind the curtain a little bit more than maybe even any of us knew and it's been it's been fun to kind of watch uh you know women maybe hit their stride uh in the in the rental industry and you know you've got some situations like with beth hoff blackmer where you know she she owns her uh, her own rental store and you know there are a lot of women in the, the industry that are doing that, but um, you know there are, there are a lot of women that are are just equals in support, um, you know, with within their their organizations. And so it's been really fun to kind of see that um, grow and expand over over the the last several years. When I was on the board of ARA, they bring you in for the you know the board meetings and they're in Moline, Illinois to their to their location there and they have some of the greatest pictures Brian hanging on the wall and some of them are from the first the first ARA shows and they showed the men and the you know the their suits and their hats and the you know trench coats and then and then many of them have their wives with them and they're in a you know a two-piece suit with gloves on and and uh, you know heels and and whatnot and you know i think about today um when you know you see people at the at the trade shows and and typically they're they've got all their literature and whatnot and it's it's really cool to see you know the the teams of of men and women working together to you know, to make their rental business successful. Where in the past it was definitely definitely a man's game, and and um and the the women there even even if they did have an active role in the business, it it seems that it was somewhat um, muted or or downplayed, and like I said, maybe behind the curtain a little bit more. So so it's really fun to kind of see the families grow in these businesses and. Um, you know, and I think I think Josh's family is a, a great example of, of that. So and yeah, you get to pull the curtains back a little. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and what else is interesting is for years I've seen, you know, families show up and oftentimes they've got their kids with them at the either at the ARA show or one of these co one of the co-op shows. And oftentimes that's their family vacation for the year because they don't have time to take additional time off. So so oftentimes this is this is their their vacation. But it's so cool now to start seeing those kids that, you know, were being pushed around in strollers and whatnot when, you know, 15, 20 years ago are now taking the reins of the of the family business and and uh, uh, taking over and jumping right in. So it's neat to see that succession. Our next question was uh, was about Toro and the ARA are partnering on something pretty cool. Uh, do you want to tell me a little bit more about this baseball field? Or is this yep. everyone's getting baseball fields or are there different projects? Yeah, so the the plan is that, that Toro and ARA are partnering and that includes um, the Toro, the site work site of, the of our division, as well as Ditchwich. And we are partnering with ARA to do projects in each of the 10 
divisions of the, the ARA, which includes um, nine areas across the U.S. and then, and then um, Canada as well. And so there, over the next two years, there are going to be 10 projects in each one of the regions. There are a, several that I, I know the specifics on already. Um, there's uh, one in Minneapolis that they're, they're working on, and it's, it's uh, right in the St. Paul area, and they're um, doing some, some path clearing, and then they're also setting up sort of a natural uh, play area for kids uh there um the the other one is here in denver and we um have partnered with the the denver parks and rec group and we are going to be re rebuilding a ball field um in green valley ranch which is just right out by the the airport and then in january of 2022 um in the women in rental is going to have a summit in austin texas and so I don't know the details of the project yet, but it sounds like the women um, in rental group will be working uh, during that time, spending a day or so uh, working on the whatever the project is there in Austin. So, so uh, yeah, so it's going to be good. And so in each of those instances, Toro product or um, Ditch Witch product will be brought in. Uh, to help with the with each of the projects, and uh, it's obviously designed to you know help the um, each of the regions, but also you know build awareness for rental product. It's pretty powerful to be able to see that a whole you know uh, playground area or baseball field can be built or or rebuilt um, you know within a within a day or two. Each of these projects are designed to be completed within a day or two days uh, at top. So yeah, so it should be fun. That's pretty cool. I understand that during COVID you picked up a new talent. What is your new skill? <laughs> so I have begun to do uh, watercolor painting. And um, so, yeah, I just picked this up from watching YouTube videos and uh, have really kind of, uh, gotten interested in it and um and done a lot of and mostly florals right now um but but yeah that's that was kind of my my new thing for for covid and uh just for mother's day this weekend my youngest daughter um got me a online class for um for watercolors and it's really cool because within this this class there are uh eight or nine various different uh, classes, you know, some talks about theory, some talks about mixing colors. And then, um, but then they talk about like, like painting cityscapes and things like that. So I'm looking forward to um, doing something other than florals. So yeah, it's going to be fun. And then my uh, older daughter bought me a whole book on uh, watercolors and painting. So Wow, you really got into it. Okay, yeah. so I, I have a question. The only painter I've watched is Bob Ross because you know, everyone knows Bob Ross. Who yeah. is the Bob Ross of the YouTube water painting or watercolor painting world? So the woman that I watch, her name is Emma Lefave, and um, she's she's based out of Canada, and I just sort of stumbled upon her. But but she but her style and whatnot is the is the one that I sort of uh, I, I guess follow. Um, but in along those Bob Ross lines, she's she's very comforting and says you can't make a mistake. <laughs> like, oh, nice, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's very reassuring. Good.
You also mentioned that you like sewing, and I have probably more knowledge than you would expect since my mom, my wife, my sister all really like sewing, and I even took some sewing classes in, uh, as I was a kid. So not to brag, impressive. but I can make a bean bag. All right, impressive. <laughs> That's excellent. Uh, what is your favorite thing to sew? Right now, it seems like I'm of the uh, age, Brian, that all my you know my nieces and nephews are are, are getting married and having kids, and so. Right now, I'm on a big baby blanket um, uh, sewing frenzy. So my um, my nephew and his wife are having um, a baby in June, and then my uh, niece in New York is having twins, uh, wow. July or August. And so, um, so I've been been busy working on those. But it's it's been interesting, think, you know, thinking about your question, um, how sewing's kind of followed my my life as it, it's gone on when i first bought my sewing machine i bought it because i was making a wedding dress to be in a friend's wedding and um and so from there it's kind of gone through the you know the halloween costume phases and and all this stuff and so so here we are now with the baby blanket phase so. whoa, whoa, whoa what's the what's the halloween costume that you're proudest of having sewed a penguin a penguin <laughs> That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and then I did a Fred and Wilma um, costume for my husband. And I. Did you have Did you have anyone else who was the Rebels, or was it just Fred and Wilma? <laughs> no, it was just Fred. Okay, I was gonna say, at, at some point, it becomes a little too much to yeah. start making it for other people. Okay, so all of your all of your things that you sew, those are gifts. You don't just have a secret Etsy store or something on the side. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, they are almost all gifts. I um, there's very little that I have kept that that I make. I'm also big into cross stitching, and so when people get married, I'll make a, a wedding record with their, you know, the day that they got married and their names and, and all of that. Or or same with baby births, you know, have their date and weight and all that. Yeah. So that's really cool. What is a trait that successful leaders have in common, in your opinion? Is there a unique ability that you have to have as a remote leader? I would say in almost both, actually both of those situations, I would say communication is key. Where I feel as, as an employee that I've flourished the most is being kept in the loop and, and just uh, uh, maintaining that, that communication. And so I really feel that, that a good leader is fairly transparent or is, is as transparent as they can be. That would make sense. Let's get to the five important questions. Five important questions. Five important, five important, questions. important questions. Five important questions. What would you say is your greatest success in life? Gosh, that's a that's a tough one and incredibly broad. You know, of course, my family, um, my my two girls are are probably um, what I would consider my my biggest success. But from from a general standpoint, I would say that I feel successful in maybe just keeping all the balls in the air. Uh, and and what I mean by that is is I feel like um, I've been able to you know, have a fairly successful um, career, but yet have a wonderful family and, you know, still still maintain all the things that, that I like to love to, to do and, and, and whatnot. Yeah, you even managed to stay by your city. Yeah, exactly, right. All right, 
If you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice when you started your career, what would it be? Maybe to relax a little bit and to really understand that you can't do it all um, and that you have to have divisions in your life, whether, you know, whether, and I particularly had to learn that working from home, that there, there has to be, you know, kind of a start and stop time and um, try and keep some division within your personal life and, and your work life. Yeah, I, I, that would probably be my advice is just to relax a little bit and, and to and to prioritize. Well, thank you for including this in your priorities for today. <laughs> okay, I'm not so sure that you're going to appreciate that you have made the time for this after this one. What is your most embarrassing moment in your career? Oh my gosh, there, you know, it's it's funny because I saw this question and there are so many that it's, it's um, I, I think I have an amazing ability to maybe to tune them out once they've happened, but um, but of course, you know the the whole showing up a day early for my my interview that that one always sort of uh, sticks up there. But uh, most recently, uh, back in November, every so our fiscal year ends October thirty first, and um, the the first week of November, we typically have sort of a, a company wide. Uh, meeting and all of the managers report on you know their their business sector and and whatnot and each of and we're given sort of a a numbers template so that we can kind of plug in our numbers and and whatnot and so for whatever reason um, I put all my numbers in and and I'm going along and I'm giving my presentation and um, the general manager of our division. Um, very gently pointed out that my numbers didn't add up <laughs> and so that was that was embarrassing and and especially he was he was our our new general manager and so it was uh it was incredibly embarrassing and, and that's always fun to do with a new yeah it was great it was great okay well um sorry you've been sentenced to death for this numbers mishap uh <laughs> it, it turns out that he was only pretending to be nice about it uh, anyway, so what is your last meal? <laughs> wow, that escalated quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of our favorite meals here in in, in the Denver area is a, is a restaurant called Las Caras, and they have the most amazing grilled chicken burrito. And so that would be my that would be my last meal: um, a, a Las Caras burrito um, smothered with green chili. All right, that sounds pretty good. Are you going to have a drink with it or? Uh, any dessert? Nope, just the nope, burrito. Just the burrito. All right. Just the burrito. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? I don't know. That went. That's a tough one. There's probably a lengthy list. But professionally, I um, there's so many people that that I look up to and admire. I always admire those that um, have the ability to be good with numbers, uh, particularly in in our industry. And so, if I could change one thing uh, about me, I'd I'd love to have that ability. That's a good one, and it saves saves you in your last one from death. Yes. Yeah. So. That's a good one to choose. It's all coming full circle. Yeah. Uh, if you could change one thing in the rental industry, what would it be? Um, that's a tough one because I mean I love the the rental industry, and you know I I, I frequently compare it to the automotive industry when um in my my previous career, and I just love how personal it is. It doesn't seem to be uh, as cutthroat as uh, as many of the the industries can be. 
But one of the things that maybe worries me a little bit is the regulations and, and whatnot that are, are being put in place on some equipment and, and things like that. Okay. I'm going to seem like I'm obsessed with beer here, but you say, <laughs> you say you have this comparison between this and the automotive manufacturing industry. Do you ever compare this industry to the beer industry? It seems like you probably wouldn't. There's, there's actually probably more, com you know, um, likeness than, than you might think keeping the equipment running. I was going to say there's secretly a lot of maintenance and yeah, stuff right, that you're not thinking right. about. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so yeah, and, and having all the right componentry in place and, um, you know, and of course with beer, it's a matter of having the, uh, all the ingredients and, um, but, but there's still so much that goes into transporting it. There's just a lot of logistics that, that go into, to, to any product and getting it to its market. What is your spirit spice? What spice in the kitchen do you identify with? What says? Wow, Joey? that's a tough one. So, and because I have to say, I really pride myself on my spice cabinet. It's, uh, I would say that it's rather extensive and um, I, I like using a lot of various spices. I like using garam masala, you know, some of the Indian spices, um, zatar, um, sumac. Um, but if, to be honest, if I had to just, or if I was alone on a desert island and I could only have two, I would just probably pick good old salt and pepper. But do you feel that describes your essence or is it just you think that those can go with everything? Are you salt and pepper? No, I'm cumin. Okay, why are you cumin? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I guess I like the 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 kick that it adds to to food and whatnot. So um, I I would hope that I'm cumin. Okay. Yeah, that question was added by one of our uh, fellow pointers who happened to also have an extensive spice cabinet. Excellent. I think it's um, so great that you call yourselves pointers. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I, I made it up a while ago thinking that like, I'll come up with something better later on. And then like people just started using it. It's like, all right, well, I guess that's her name now. It's perfect. Um, tell me a secret about the rental industry. I don't know that there's a huge, um, any huge uh, secrets in the, in the rental industry, but I think that sometimes maybe the, the rental industry itself is a secret, you know, that kind of goes back to our um, point about, you know, just educating people about the rental industry and, and you know, that, it, that it's available and out there. And, you know, I think, I think publications like RER and um, a lot of those publications like that are doing a great job of, you know, interviews like this and, and just everything is, you know, it's, is doing a great job of, of, of making the, the rental industry less of a secret. Okay. So see you at the air show. Yes. I've already booked my ticket. So yeah. All right. Good. Yeah. We're, we're anxious right. to get there and, and to see everyone and, and uh, yeah, kind of get back to normal. All right. Well, thank you for joining me today, Jody. Yes. Well, thanks for having me. It's been fun.